Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada. In the program today, we continue the last week of our series, The Fellowship of the Gospel, from the book of Philippians with Dr. John Newfeld. So let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 7, with a message on learning to avoid hurtful controversy. Today I want to speak about unity and controversy. You know, as we know, we'll experience plenty of both of those things throughout our lifetime. And if you're part of a local church, you'll experience plenty of it there as well. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. See, unity is great, but it's not always necessarily healthy. It's been said that the reason mountain climbers are tied together is to keep the sane ones from going home. Well, sure enough, not all unity is positive, and it is that way among every gathering of Christians. Well, you might ask, how can unity not be ideal? Well, here's how I see it. When unity by itself is the focus, we almost always get inwardly focused. How are you doing? How am I doing? Are we all okay? Is anyone displeased? Have we done enough for one another? Are we taking care of those who are upset and disappointed and ill at ease? Are we listening well to each other? Now, none of those questions are wrong in and of themselves, but when these are the only questions, well, we might neglect the gospel. Unity by itself does not lead to growth. In fact, unity by itself often leads to an insular feeling where we're constantly gazing at each other and not our mission field, where no one from the outside can properly get in. See, I've seen unified churches never reach out, remain small, remain ineffective, remain unaware of the demands of the Great Commission. Now, having said that, let me turn the matter around the other way. If it is true that unity alone cannot lead to health, it's equally true that there can be no health among believers without striving for unity. We can't reach our community with a gospel. We can't partner to advance the gospel in this land and around the world if we're quarreling. Power plays are ruining our mission unless there exists this good and pleasant unity that Psalm 133 speaks about. We'll not have a partnership in the gospel. So what we need is not unity by itself, but a healthy unity for the sake of the gospel. Let me get back to my mountain climbers tied together to keep the sane ones from going home. True, but do you know that there are many things that we would never do, including climbing mountains, were it not for the encouragement and camaraderie that others bring? A healthy unity will propel us to make the gospel known, and we need that. And so we notice that Philippians is all about a partnership to advance the gospel into the heart of the Roman Empire. As we're nearing the end of Philippians, it's the idea of a healthy unity that seems to dominate Paul's thinking. So let's read Philippians 4 verses 2 to 7. I entreat you, Oidea, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, at first glance, it might seem that this paragraph is merely a set of unrelated commands, kind of like Paul saying, before I sign off, there are a couple of additional bits you need to pay attention to. Please stop the quarreling between Euodia and Syntyche. Rejoice in the Lord. Be reasonable. Don't be anxious. And then, as we will see tomorrow, another command, think about positive things. 
And it's as if Paul is saying, these are my list of my last instructions that I haven't had time to deal with in detail in this letter. But if we set out to study each one of these seemingly unrelated commands, we'll soon discover a thread that holds all of them together. I wondered what would have happened if Euodia and Syntyche would have rejoiced in everything. What if, instead of focusing on their differences, they had their mindset on those things that are true and lovely? What if they prayed about everything instead of fretting and worrying? Would that have made a difference? And the more that we think about these items that Paul includes in the end of Philippians, we'll see so much more than just a recipe for long-term enduring unity. We'll see a unity that is healthy. We'll see a certain kind of unity, one that propels the gospel forward and builds the foundation of a long-term enduring fellowship of the gospel, not a unity that makes us inward-focused and insular. So instead of making unity the goal, the goal is gospel living, and the outcome of gospel living is unity. It's a sign that we're doing things right. So then, what we will do today is learn four principles that must be lived out among us that will build a healthy, long-term unity for the sake of the gospel. Here's the first of these principles. Help those in disagreement find peace and reconciliation. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 again. I entreat you, Oidea, and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, at the outset, let's admit we know very little about these women, but we know a few things. First, we know that Paul is sure that their names are recorded in the book of life. You know, I can't read this without reflecting on what John would later write. I'm speaking about Revelation 20 and 21. There is a book of life, also called the Lamb's Book of Life, meaning this book belongs to Jesus. He and the Father enter names into that book. And the difference between heaven and hell is that book. If your name is there, you have a future. If your name is absent, only horror awaits you. That's why the greatest issue before any human being is the question, is my name written there? You know, your name might be included among the stars in motion pictures, among the innovative leaders in your community, among the brightest and best in university. But if your name is absent from this list, all other lists are of no value. In plain language, if you have not found peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ, you need to settle that matter today. Today. You need to surrender your life into the hands of Jesus. Today, you need to trust Christ alone for your future, believing that the only way to have your sins forgiven is to believe and confess that Christ died for you and to repent of your sins. But these women, well, their eternity was secure. Paul is convinced of it, and he knows them, and he's aware of the promises made to them in the cross. And when we get to heaven, we're going to meet Euodia and Syntyche. See, I want to ask them, so what's up with the two of you? But here's the truth. Sometimes Christians do disagree with each other. We know that, that according to Acts 15, verse 39, it says, And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they, that is, Paul and Barnabas, separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. I hope you hear the words Luke, who recorded these events, uses. Dispute, separation, the grace of the Lord. 
See, I take that to mean that the two men did not slander each other or speak evil of each other, and that's the key. See, we can disagree, even heatedly so, and even realize we can't work together, but we can still acknowledge and love and speak gracious words to each other. Do you see the issue? Love can exist in disputes, or it can be absent in disputes, and the difference is the difference between discord and unity. So what's happening between Euodia and Syntyche? Well, clearly they disagreed about something that in Paul's view was entirely resolvable. He must have thought so, for he commands those who are mature to help resolve this difference among them. What else do we know about this dispute among these two women? Well, we know that these two women had labored side by side with Paul. The word labored implies not only work, but a struggle, implying that there was been opposition. These two women had been in the fray. They had faced persecution together with Paul. They had been a part of gospel advancement, and they had shown themselves worthy. See, these are outstanding women, not problem members. What else do we know about them? Well, they had been team players in the past. They had worked with Paul and a man named Clement and others. They weren't loners. They they weren't complainers. They weren't people who went their own way. No, they played on a team, and the two of them joined arms together and fought the Lord's wars together. And that leads us to the last thing that we know about them. They had fallen out with each other somehow, and that is always a part of our humanity. See, and when we come back, we're going to see how these matters, which are a part of what every single Christian faces— And by the way, let me say it again, every single Christian at times will face some kind of a disagreement with another. But most of these matters can be healed and can be handled in such a way as to avoid the kind of a controversy that brings harm to the entire body of Christ and the mission of the church. When we read these verses about the two women in the church, perhaps we won't connect with its relevance right off the bat. However, What we're beginning to see there is how much we need to learn about what constitutes healthy unity among believers and the conflicts that can arise. But how can we ensure that within the church our disagreements don't ultimately become destructive? Well, Paul will instruct us further as we continue our study. It's happening. If you've listened to Laugh Again in the past, now the opportunity is available to not only hear Phil, but to see him in action. This month, we make the official launch of Laugh Again TV. Five minutes of storytelling, laughter, hope, and joy all wrapped into a video message from Laugh Again and Phil Calloway. If there was ever a time for the ministry, it's now. If there was ever a time to hear about the hope and joy that comes from knowing Jesus, it's now. And now you can enjoy Laugh Again and Phil in a way never experienced before. So check out Laugh Again TV at laughagain.ca or by going to the Laugh Again TV channel on YouTube. A new, inspirational, joy-filled program every week. If you check out Laugh Again TV on YouTube, remember to subscribe to the channel for free and never miss another episode. Thank you for continuing to support in these challenging days. Your donations keep this unique ministry alive. To learn more, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca. It can happen so easily. Deep disagreement, and the enemy of our souls knows how to exploit it. 
And by the fact that Paul mentions their names in this letter, it's clear that the entire church knew this. Their differences were open and apparent, and they were unable to repair their differences. I don't know what those differences were, but I do know that they weren't moral or theological. No, these were two very good women who were locked in a conflict, and everyone felt the pain. See, I've been saying that there is no deeper friendship than the friendship that arises out of the gospel. But there's another matter. There are very deep wounds that can arise out of working together for the gospel. I've seen numerous places where good Christian people have deeply wounded each other and the relationship is hurt and God's people feel the pain. Non-Christians now mock and gospel advancement is halted. Notice what Paul here commends. Help these women. Actually, two things. First, it's apparent to Paul that these women are going to need help. Left on their own, they won't be able to work this matter out. Listen, it's not a scandal to admit this. There are times when mature brothers and sisters need to move in, not to condemn, but to actively work to bring unity where there has been misunderstanding and hurt, and even very different ways of seeing things. It really is okay to help. And when we do, our task is not to take sides or to condemn the one, but rather to tirelessly, no matter how long it takes, to believe that God will bring an end to difficult matters and that unity can be restored. Second, Paul is not calling upon everyone to help them, nor is he saying someone should step forward. He has someone specific in mind. I ask you, true companion, to help these women. Literally, he calls this individual loyal yoke fellow. Now, he doesn't mention the name, but everyone in the church must have known who he was talking about. This one person had the ability to heal these women, and he needed to take initiative. I have no doubt that whoever he was, he was probably an elder who was well-known for his ability to bring peace and reconciliation between people. Here's the lesson. When two Christians are in a dispute, not everyone should get involved. I've learned that when you expand a dispute to include 10 or 20 people or more, no good ever comes. Proverbs 26 verse 17 says, Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. You're going to get bit, and rightly so. In other words, stay out of other people's fights. Sometimes when there's a dispute between people who love Christ and have served together, the best thing that we can do is to stay out of it. Don't gossip about it. Don't take sides. Don't put in your piece of advice. And when you don't even know what all the issues are, don't enter in to try to stop that dispute. Stop grabbing passing dogs by the ears. But that doesn't mean that we leave things alone. A well-seasoned Christian, an elder, a pastor, a leader among God's people can help two people find peace. That's how you avoid long-term hurtful controversies that bring damage to the people of God and disrupt the work of the church. And that now brings us to the second principle of establishing long-term unity. Always find reasons to rejoice in the Lord. Look again at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, of course, this letter is filled with expressions of joy. From chapter 1, 3 on, joy gets repeated over and over again. Furthermore, here Paul tells the reason for our joy, it's in the Lord. Not in our circumstances, but in the Lord. Perhaps we're called upon to remember what Christ has done for us in spite of our sin. Or perhaps we are to remember the promises that lie ahead of us when we will meet Christ face to face. 
Or perhaps Paul has in mind the idea that Christ is Lord and that he and his mercy is taking us through each and every situation for our long-term good in his glory. So we should be rejoicing that our present situation is brought on by the Lord for our good. It might even be that Paul wants these Christian women to remember that even this dispute between them has behind it the meticulous sovereignty of God. That's not to say that God caused this dispute, but that God would use this dispute to teach all of them how to exercise wisdom and maintain the unity among them. If handled rightly, they will thank God for this difficulty down the road. So rejoice in the Lord. But whatever joy Christ brings, it is joy. What an antidote this is to a church that struggles with unity. Rejoice. Be glad. Don't grumble. Don't look for faults in one another. Don't concentrate on what's not right. Rejoice in the Lord. Now a third principle. Be graciously reasonable so that outsiders might be amazed at how you handled this dispute. Let's look at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You know, the word reasonable is a difficult word to translate. Some translations say graciousness. Others use a word like gentle spirit or gentleness. The old King James said, let your forbearance be known to all. Still others speak of patience or mercy. In truth, we have no English translation for this Greek word. All of these words I have used sum up that one Greek word. I simply translate it as being graciously reasonable with a gentle spirit. But here's an important question. Why does Paul add the words, the Lord is near? And what does he mean by that? Does he mean that Christ is always near to us, or does he mean that the second coming of Jesus is near? Lots of questions here. In order to unpack that, let's imagine the situation as it was in Philippi. As Euodia and Syntyche could tell you, they had to contend for the gospel. That is, when they were involved in evangelism with Paul, they sometimes came across real opposition. Remember that it was in Philippi that Paul was thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, and he was brutally whipped. And now as the church was growing and the gospel was advancing in that city, some people thought that Christians who called Jesus Lord were actually leading a treasonous rebellion against Caesar and the entire Roman Empire. So Christians needed to respond. But how would they respond? Let me put it into our context. Just like the Roman world, the the non-Christian world that we live in, wrongly accuses us of many things. One of those accusations is that we contemporary Christians are intolerant against homosexuals. We know what the real issue is. We teach that all sexual activity is to be confined within the marriage of one man and one woman for life. That is our morality taught in Scripture. But how should we answer those who charge us with intolerance? Answer, we do so with a gentle, gracious, and reasonable spirit. We approach conflict not with conflict, for that's how the world deals with conflict, but with a firm and kind spirit. Now, we may not win every argument that way, or we may win none of them, but we're okay with that. Why? The Lord is near. He is both in control and He is coming soon. We don't need to win all arguments. Rather, we need to trust in him. He will settle all things in the end. You know, when Euodia and Syntyche, and for that matter, the entire church, as they appoint a mediator who is known as a loyal yoke fellow, that the entire church would then have learned an important lesson, how to approach tension with reasonableness, joy, 
graciousness, without breaking ranks, and they would take that same lesson to all the other issues that they faced as well. Well, what happens? Well, it takes the tension out of the air, but it's also a form of evangelism to the non-Christian community, for it is a showcase of how we act. So let me ask this. What's so important that you can't wait for the Lord to vindicate it? So a healthy unity consists in helping those who disagree to make peace, always finding reason to rejoice in Christ and learning graciously reasonable responses to all of our difficulties. And this is what gets communicated to the watching city of Philippi. What an important advantage God gives us in our disputes. If done right, the dispute itself will help us to advance the gospel. Let's pray for more of this kind of stuff among us. Heavenly Father, we know that even as believers, we're often busted up people and we've often desired our own way and we've often bullied our way through others. But Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, cause us to take the principles that we learn in this precious book and apply it to our lives and to our relationships as well. In Christ's strong name we pray. Wow, John, this is a bit of a hot issue, I tell you, because conflict is just everywhere. But one of the things I think gets in a way of, of resolving conflict for us is this idea of pride. How do we get past ourselves to try and fix things? Yeah, I, I must say that I probably don't know the answer to that. I, I do know that we need to learn to pray about everything. And probably we need to tell the Lord before we even go into this. I find this so difficult because I'm struggling with this. Lord, help me. And uh, so I think that we can, you know, start with prayer. And uh, if we have somebody helping us whom we trust, we might be able to say that as well, if we can be honest enough to do that. And if it's a good and loving and a helpful brother, he might be able to or she might be able to help us to come to terms with that. Maybe we just need to be on our knees for a while and confessing that rather than even dealing with the initial relationship issue. You know, it's inevitable that if you're an active part of a church, you'll encounter tension and conflict. But in today's message, we received a great picture of how Paul instructs us to respond to conflict in a way that both honors God and models unity to the outside world. I hope that today's message will impact all of us, as conflict is a reality of life. But now let us respond in a way that works to avoid hurtful controversy. Join us again tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld continues with the series, The Fellowship of the Gospel, with a message called Discipline Thinking in our continuation of our study in Philippians. And back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Over the past months, I've been asked a few of the same questions a number of times. Typically, they would be, how is Dr. Neufeld? And the answer is, great. He's working from home for the most part, but well and safe. Another question is, how is the ministry doing financially? Well, to that I say, God is good. He provides. Gracious partners across the country continue to give, and we're so appreciative. Times are uncertain, and we must tighten our belts, so to speak, but we walk in confidence. So thank you for staying in touch. Thank you for supporting in prayer. And thank you to those, including our monthly partners, who continue to give regularly. And for those who are not able at this time, we understand. Please keep praying for the ministry. If you are able, please continue to stand with us in challenging days. 
Delivering God's message of hope is critical. To learn more about the Bible teaching resources available through the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, or to support the ministry with a financial gift today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.